What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Hope everyone's having a great weekend so far. Today, we're going to be breaking down a fun topic. We're going to be talking about why individual amateur athletes should be able to receive prize money. Now, this argument came up more recently because Nick Dunlap, who most of you probably didn't know who that was more than a week ago, recently won and became the first amateur golfer to win a PGA Tour event at the American Express since Phil Mickelson in 1991. Now, that typically would have came along with $1.5 million in prize money, but since Dunlap is an amateur, he wasn't allowed to take that money home. So today, I'm going to break down the pros and cons of the system and why ultimately, I think it should change. This is a really interesting episode, and I think you guys are going to enjoy it. But before we get into it, let's quickly hear from today's sponsors. All right, a quick recap of what's happened so far. Last weekend, 20-year-old Nick Dunlap won the American Express PGA Tour event in La Quinta, California. The University of Alabama sophomore beat out major champions like Justin Thomas, Scotty Scheffler, Zach Johnson, and Wyndham Clark, along with a field of very other talented golfers as well, becoming the first amateur to win a PGA Tour event in more than 30 years. As I mentioned in the intro, Phil Mickelson was the last amateur to do it more than 30 years ago. It was quite literally the perfect weekend. Dunlap moved up a record 4,000 spots in the official World Golf Rankings from 4,129th rank to 68th. 4,129th to 68th. He also secured himself PGA Tour membership through the 2026 season, and the college sophomore will now be eligible to play in all 2024 signature events, including this year's Masters and PGA Championship. But there was one catch. Despite Nick Dunlap deciding to turn professional just four days later on Thursday, he was an amateur when the tournament started, so he wasn't allowed to take home the $1.5 million first place prize. Instead, that money ended up going to the second place finisher, and Dunlap left California with $0 in prize money. This is a long-standing rule. Dunlap knew it going into the tournament. And it's not like there aren't other benefits, like the aforementioned PGA Tour membership card and entry into this year's Masters Tournament. But Dunlap's historic victory shines a spotlight, in my opinion, on everything that is wrong with NIL today. Now, obviously, NIL stands for name, image, and likeness. It was implemented by the NCAA a couple of years ago, and we've seen it change dramatically over the last couple of years. Not only change in the way that it's implemented and used, but it's changed college sports in general. Boosters are donating hundreds of millions of dollars to the top football programs in the country. A report just came out this past week that Ohio State has already spent more than $10 million in NIL money on player retention, transfer portal additions, and early enrollees for its 2024 football team, including a $50,000 to $100,000 donation to the school's NIL fund from former Buckeyes quarterback C.J. Stroud. So again, not only do we have boosters just sending money to the school, knowingly using that money to pay for athletes to come to their team, but we also have former players that are donating to the school to make sure that players stay on the team, get recruited to the school, and play good football while getting paid. We also have 18-year-old kids driving Lamborghinis to National Signing Day. There are football and men's basketball teams across the country flying private to games. They play on the weekends in sold-out stadiums and arenas. And saying schoolwork has become an afterthought would be the most generous way that I could say it. So, no, I do not think that it's fair that Nick Dunlap didn't get to keep his prize money. He is an excellent player and has a bright future, most likely. But golf is a finicky sport 
where amateur success doesn't always translate to professional success. And $1.5 million is life-changing money, especially for a 20-year-old college sophomore. Let me just give you guys an idea of just what Nick was doing for the past few weeks. He has an open doors profile, which is where you can go on as a fan of him and buy certain services. He was charging $10 for a shout out where he'll literally record a video for you like Cameo and send it to you. $10 for that. He'll post about you on social media for $26. He'll make an appearance at a practice or an event for $52. He'll sign an autograph for you for $40. He'll pitch something to you in a custom request for $10 or more. This guy was literally pinching pennies trying to make 10 to 20 to $50 at a time by doing special requests for fans through the Open Doors platform. So again, you can talk about you know his endorsement deals with Adidas and his NIL deals with other companies like that. All of that is great and good and everything like that. But $1.5 million is a lot of money to the vast majority of people, and it would have been life-changing for a kid like this. But the more interesting part to me is that Dunlap deserved this money, not only because he won the tournament, but he made a significant difference to the tournament financially. The tournament's final round averaged 534,000 viewers on the Golf Channel. That's a 37% increase from John Rahm's win last year, where he had 391,000 viewers. And it's the best final round viewership for this event since Phil Mickelson battled for a win in 2019, where they had 574,000 viewers. So in a world where golf is more fractured than ever before with Live and the PGA Tour and all these other tours around the world, and players are all over the place, and viewership is not going as well as it should be going, this was a bright spot, and it was amazing for the tournament that they were able to get this much attention on the final round on the Golf Channel. That year-over-year -year viewership growth is worth millions to American Express, the tournament sponsor. TV broadcast partners, ticket and sponsorship sales teams, and the PGA Tour in general all benefited on the back of free labor, just like the NCAA has been doing for centuries. This is wrong, plain and simple, and we should be calling it out when we see it. The NCAA doesn't even control this tournament, and the USGA says the rule is in place to ensure that amateur golfers are, and I quote, free from the pressures that may follow from uncontrolled sponsorship and financial incentives. Again, this is what the rule states. This is why the USGA says that this rule is placed where amateur athletes can't get paid. They said that amateur golfers need to be free from the pressures that may follow from uncontrolled sponsorship and financial incentives. That sounds like a bad excuse because it is a bad excuse. And the worst part is that there are plenty of obvious solutions to solve this problem. Let's go through a couple of them. For example, number one, the PGA Tour could just place this money in an escrow account. That would allow Nick Dunlap to return to school and maintain his amateur status. The money can be invested in treasuries or maybe a high-yield savings account so he doesn't lose money on inflation. And Dunlap could withdraw the seven-figure sum when he eventually turns professional. Now, obviously, like I just said, he just turned professional. But this would have allowed him to go back to school and know, be certain, that $1.5 million or more, depending on the return rate for his investments, is sitting in an escrow account for him to get when he wants to turn professional. That seems like an obvious solution that they could implement tomorrow if they wanted it to happen. Solution number two is fairly obvious as well. They could convert the $1.5 million in first place prize money into an NIL deal. Dunlap can make appearances for American Express and the PGA Tour throughout the year. He can commit to a certain number of sponsorship deliverables on social media. And most importantly, he can collect the money through a more legitimate structure than 95%, maybe even 99% of the NIL money that we're seeing in college football and other sports like that today. 
That, in my mind, would be far better than what we're seeing with these NIL collectives today. Many of you will remember the first NIL collective started at the University of Florida, and it was simply set up where fans could pay a subscription price to a collective. In return, they would get access to the athletes. Athletes would sign up to that collective, and they would get a piece of the pie. It was a fairly straightforward structure, and in my mind, it was what NIL was intended to be, albeit a little bit different than the corporate sponsorships like we'll see with Caleb Williams and Wendy's or other companies like that. But what it's turned into is people are literally just donating money to these athletes to ensure that they stay at the school. Deion Sanders has talked about it, claiming that an offensive lineman in the transfer portal cost him half a million dollars. We've heard numerous reports that quarterbacks can go upwards of seven figures in the portal and free agency. Some of these high school quarterbacks are demanding contracts to be signed before they actually end up committing to the school. One of the most famous ones that we've seen recently was a wide receiver who committed to Ohio State earlier this year. He signed his commitment letter on National Signing Day. Everyone saw it. It was on live television. The coaches were happy. The players were happy. The fan base was ecstatic. But then hours went by and it was never faxed in. Turns out, why wasn't faxed in? It wasn't faxed in because he had not received a signed contract from the school's NIL collective guaranteeing him the amount of money that he was supposed to get in NIL money. This is far and away different than anything else we've ever experienced in college football and high-level athletics. These people have agents, and it's completely different than what NIL was intended to be. The other part of this that's pretty simple is that this would have no impact on amateurism, and it would help out other athletes too. Some of you guys will remember Fiona Crawley. Fiona Crawley is a tennis player at UNC who was unable to collect $81,500 in prize money at last year's U.S. Open tennis tournament because of her amateur status. My point is very simple. College sports are evolving, for better or worse. NIL regulations aren't perfect, but it's a step in the right direction, which in my mind, again, will eventually end in revenue sharing with the athletes. Now, it's time to change the amateur rules for the better and allow these players to get paid what they rightfully earned. That's it for today. I hope everyone has a great weekend. Please do me a favor. If you enjoy this podcast, just share it with a friend. Help me help you by making this podcast bigger and better than ever before. Have a great weekend and we'll talk next week.